If you'd like to follow along our scripture for this evening, 2 Chronicles chapter 15, 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. For a long time, Israel was, with that, was without the true God, without a priest to teach and without the law. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, and he was found by them. Keep your Bibles open to 2 Chronicles. We're going to back up to chapter 14 in just a minute. Before we do, I want to just a couple of housekeeping notes uh, very briefly. Uh, many of you noticed, I just want to make sure everybody did, that the teacher sign-up sheet for next quarter is on the bulletin board. And so uh, if you have availability next quarter to teach, uh, please make yourselves available to that. Uh, that quarter will begin in February. So... Um, it's not the first of February. I think it's, the, it's always the first Sunday in February. Sometimes there's confusion about that, but uh, this will always be the first Sunday in February. So we've got just a few weeks before the next quarter begins, and I wanted to uh, make sure that you knew. Several were signed up this morning, and I appreciate that very much. Along with that, uh, we're going to have a Bible Bowl for our young people on that same Sunday, the first Sunday of February. And I know we've had a lot going on, uh, holidays and, and all of that, but... Um, about a month from now, we'll have that Bible Bowl for our young people. That's going to be ages 2 and 3 all the way through intermediate. And intermediate, I'm not trying to leave you guys out. Uh, I told the secretaries, no, through advanced. I told the secretaries through intermediate, but all the way through advanced. And so advanced, you are uh, a part of the Bible Bowl. So uh, we'll do that again, uh, Lord willing, the first Sunday of February. Uh, all of our young people at the beginning of the quarter were given a packet with all of the questions, potential questions for that. If that has been misplaced in your home or if you need another one, there are some on the foyer table and we can make sure that more copies are made. But uh, that's always a fun Sunday. Always look forward to that. And adults, uh, please be here to help out with that. Of course, we'll have sign-ups for that before the day. But uh, I just wanted to put that in your mind. I know that you saw that in the news and notes, but I wanted to make sure that you saw it again or heard about it. Uh, looking forward to that Bible Bowl the first Sunday of February. Uh, Mike and Cherie find themselves today down in Mathis. Uh, they are down there with David and Bree and their, their kids, and so they're enjoying some, some Bree. I don't know. I mean, it probably doesn't feel any better there than it does here. I showed up tonight, and David's got his convertible out there. I thought, the first of January, we're driving with the top down. So uh, it may not feel any better in Mathis, but I know they're having a good time uh, with family there. They'll be returning home tomorrow or Tuesday. Karen and I, we don't know. But uh, anyway, they're going to be home sometime early this week. And then Brother Mike will be headed for Bear Valley, uh, Lord willing, a week from today. He'll be here Sunday morning and then fly out Sunday afternoon is the plan. And so a lot going on for them. But uh, please keep them in your prayers also as they're part of that traveling bunch. So uh, just wanted to let you know a few things before we got into our study tonight. So commitment. Here we are the first Sunday of a new year. And uh, it seems fitting to talk about commitment. 
I, I'm here, and here we are at the beginning of this year, and, and these are things that I want to commit myself to over the coming year. We write those resolutions out, and we give some thought to what we want to do over the next year, and, and we are committed on day one. It's easy to be committed on day one, right? And then tomorrow, you wake up, and life happens. You wake up, and it's, it's a holiday, and it's not a holiday, and then you get into real life, January 3rd and beyond, and you're like, well... I really had good intentions. I really planned to be committed, but something came up, or this changed, or that changed, and well, I just, I, I wasn't committed after that. I, I, I wasn't as committed as I wanted to be. Well, I want you to think about that with me tonight as we look at kind of an overview of the life of King Asa. And that's where we're going to be tonight in Second Chronicles. We're going to go through chapter 14, a little bit of chapter 15, and, and I just want you to think about commitment with me and use the life of King Asa as kind of an illustration for where we want to go tonight and what we want to see. So let's just think about it for a minute. King Asa, the Bible tells us, ascends the throne in Second Chronicles chapter 14 and verse 1. The Bible says, So Abijah rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. Of David, Then Asa his son reigned in his place. In his days the land was quiet for ten years. Now, we're going to come back to this in just a moment, but I want you to know that right here at the beginning of Asa's reign, the Bible emphasizes that the land was quiet, and the land is going to remain quiet for ten years. This is not a small thing. When you think about the Old Testament and you think about these kings and you think about especially this period of the divided kingdom, you've got David and he was a man of war. He had blood on his hands. God said, you're not going to build the temple for me, but Solomon's going to come. And there was peace. And by and large, in the days of Solomon, there was peace. And they were able to build the temple. But after Solomon, of course, the kingdom is going to divide And then it's like one war after another. It is just one battle after another. And so for Asa to come along and for the Bible to say that there was rest in the land for ten years, that's a big deal. There's peace in the beginning of Asa's reign, and the Bible points that out for us. Now what makes Asa so special in the beginning of his reign is his commitment to God. If you're looking for an example of what it looks like to be committed to God, then look at the beginning of the reign of Asa. 35 years of great commitment. That's what we find. Well, what made him so committed? What do we find as such a great example from the life of Asa? Well, beginning in verse number 2, the Bible tells us that he did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. Let's just think about it in ways that you and I might understand. You have a new president who comes to power. In the United States, you've elected a man, and he has come to power. And what's the first thing he wants to do? The first thing that all the presidents want to do is fire up their base. Fire up their base. We've got things that we want to get done, and so we want to fire up the base. And they send out pollers, and they say, pollsters, and they say, pollsters, you go out and, and take the polls and see what the people want us to do. Go out there and check the temperature of the nation, and let's find out what's popular, and let's do what's popular with the people. Asa could have done that easily. He could have gone out and taken his polls. 
He could have gone out and said, okay, peers of mine, what would you like done? What would you like me to do? What did he do? He just went out and said, I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to be committed to God. I don't want to be committed to my base. I don't want to be committed to my peers. I want to be committed to God. And so the Bible says that that's exactly what he did. As you can see on the screen behind me, that, that's just opposite of what we find other places in the Old Testament, right? It's just the direct opposite. You know in the book of Judges that every man did what was right in his own eyes. There was no king, and so they were just interested in pleasing themselves. I'm telling you, Asa could have done that very easily. Here he is, uh, about the most powerful man on the face of the earth. He doesn't have all the power, but, but he is a king and he's got a lot of people under him and he's got a lot of things at his disposal and he could have said, hey Asa, let's just be happy. Let's just do what we want to do. But he didn't. He did what was right and good in the eyes of God. Over the next year and over the rest of my life, I'll tell you what I want to do. I want to do what is right and good in the eyes of God. Wouldn't it be great if, as a people of God, we just had that kind of mindset? That I'm not going to allow my peers, and I'm not going to allow society, and I'm not going to allow anybody else to determine what is right and wrong, to determine what I am going to be about and what I'm going to do. I'm going to be committed to God, and I'm going to do what is right and good in His eyes. And as long as I'm doing what is right and good in His eyes, I'm not going to win popularity contest. I'm not going to be the. I'm not going to be elected president, probably. Nothing matters to me more than doing what is right and good in the eyes of God. That's the way Asa was thinking. And then as, as we think about commitment to God, then that's exactly what we want to be about. The fool has said in his heart that there is no God. And the fool is right in his own eyes. Proverbs 12 and verse 15. And so I don't want to be foolish. I want to do what is right in the eyes of God. And I want to help others to do that same thing. I want to emulate, or eliminate rather, things that are contrary to God. If you keep reading there, in Second Chronicles chapter 14, that's exactly what Asa was about. He was committed to God in that he was going to eliminate anything contrary to God. Picking up in verse 3, He removed the altars of the foreign gods in the high places, and he broke down the sacred pillars, and he cut down the wooden images. In verse 5, He removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah, and the kingdom was quiet under him. There it is again. There's that rest. The kingdom was quiet under him. He said, look, I am just interested in doing what is right and good in the eyes of God. And to do what is right and good in the eyes of God, I'm going to eliminate anything that doesn't bring him glory. I'm going to eliminate things that don't belong here. Those things that, that are just promoting worship that is false and against God, I'm going to eliminate that from my kingdom. Asa saw things that he needed to get rid of. And he stood up and he did it. I wonder, do I have the courage in my life to do what Asa did? I mean, am I going to be committed to God enough to say, hey, God, I'm going to do what is right and good in your eyes. And so with that mindset, 
I am going to examine my life. I'm going to look into all areas of my life and I'm going to eliminate whatever doesn't bring you glory. Now that's, that's a little easier said than done. Just be honest about it. You and I both know that's true. We know that that's a little easier said than done. But I want to get rid of things in my life that don't bring Him glory. I want to be willing to walk through the vocabulary of my mind and ask, are there words in there that just don't belong? Words that don't bring Him glory? Are there actions that I partake of and, and things that I do in my life that God just wouldn't really, really smile upon? That really don't bring Him glory? My entertainment options, do they bring God glory? Is He pleased with what I'm doing? Is He okay? Is it right and good in His eyes? Those friends that I hang around, are they the best influence on me? Is that really best for me? That job that I have and those hours that I work, is that okay with God? Is He okay with that? I'm just asking questions tonight. I'm not pointing any fingers. I'm just saying we need to be willing to look through all the recesses of our lives and ask, is there anything that needs eliminated? As I go through my closet and I think about what I wear, is there anything in there that needs to be eliminated? Is what I'm doing, does it really bring glory to God? And Asa was willing to go through his land. Do you think that was a popular move? Do you think that the majority of people were okay with him tearing down those high places where false gods were being worshipped? Do you think the majority of people were okay with that altar of incense being torn down? I don't think it made him popular. But I don't think Asa at the beginning was, was really interested in being a popular king with anybody but God. I want to be that way in my life. I want to show that kind of commitment to him. And I'm telling you, these are areas that I need to work on and things that I need as much as anybody or more than anyone sitting here tonight. I want to do what is right and good in the eyes of God because I'm committed to Him. In that, I need to eliminate anything from my life that doesn't belong, anything that is contrary to Him. I'm trying real hard to get to the next slide. I'm sorry, Thomas, you're going to help me out now. If I'm going to be committed to God, you know what I need to do? I need to influence others to be committed to God. I need to influence, have an influence on others so that they too can be godly. We, we skipped verse number four on purpose. I go back to it now. The Bible says that he commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. He commanded them, God's people, to seek the Lord their God. He was a good influence on others. Now we're going to go kind of rapid fire through this, but I, I just want you to know that as you examine the life of Asa, as the, the beginning, he is so committed to God that he says, I want to do only what's right and good in your sight. I want to eliminate anything contrary to you. I want to have good, good, positive influence on those that I'm around. Even if it's God's people, they, we all need to be good influence to those that we are around. And so you continue through this. Look at verse number 6. Verse number 6 tells us that he began to fortify for future battle. In verse number 6, he built fortified cities in Judah for the land had rest. He had no war in those years because the Lord had given him rest. Therefore he said to Judah, 
Let us build these cities and make walls around them and towers and gates and bars while the land is yet before us. Because we have sought the Lord our God, we have sought Him and He has given us rest on every side. So they built and they prospered. He knew that rest came from God. He knew that it was God who had allowed them to be at peace. And so he says, look, we are going to seek God. We are going to be committed to God. But they didn't just sit. Their commitment to God pushed them, moved them to be busy. The land had rest. So he's got no wars to worry about for 10 years. Now, what are you going to do for 10 years if you don't have to worry about fighting any battles? You don't have to worry about those Philistines. You don't have to worry about your neighbors from the north coming down. You don't have to worry about Egypt. You don't have to worry about any enemies for 10 years. Are you just going to sit back and twiddle your thumbs and be satisfied? He said, no. No, we're going to be busy. We're going to be busy for 10 years. We are committed to God because we have sought Him. He has given us this rest on every side. And so we are going to build up our forces. We're going to fortify our cities. Aren't you thankful for moments in your life where it seems you can take a breath? For moments in your life, and it doesn't come along all the time, but for moments in your life where you can sit back and say, okay, I got this for a minute. God has given me rest for a little bit. What are you doing? What are you doing to prepare for the next battle? On that screen, I have Luke chapter 4 and verse 13. You remember what Luke 4 and verse 13? You remember the context of Luke 4? The context there is the temptation of Jesus. Jesus has been baptized and has been led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He has had nothing to eat or drink, the Bible says. And at at that moment of weakness, that's when the tempter comes. That's when the battle begins. That's when the battle is on with the devil. And the devil tempts him. And you know that he tempts him three times. And every time the Lord responds with, It is written. And after the third time of hearing, It is written. The Bible says in Luke chapter 4 and verse 13 that the devil left. The devil left for a season, King James. For a more opportune time, other translations say. It wasn't that the devil was going to leave and never come back. The devil was going to leave and he was going to wait for a more opportune time. The battle was going to come back. What are we doing to fortify our faith to be ready for battle? The sad thing is that that many wait until the battle. They wait to have faith when the battle comes. And, And they're not doing anything to be prepared for the battle. And so when the battle comes, they lose. They walk away from the Lord. They don't have any faith to stand on. They have no foundation under them. They haven't done anything to fortify themselves for the fight. There's no relationship there. There, There's no trust. There has been no obedience. And so when the battle comes, they're unprepared. They're not ready. I want to remind you tonight that the devil isn't backing away from you. He's not backing away from me. The tempter is real. 
He has a job to do. His job is to win us back. That's all he's about. All that he cares about is the destruction of our souls. Don't be surprised when the battle comes because that's all he's about. But we need to be prepared for it. Be fortifying our faith. Be spending more time in prayer, more time in study of God's word, more time with God's people. Be spending time thinking about our commitment to God. Asa was. And that's what we need to be about as well. Now, after preparing for the future, the Bible says that that God was on his side. Pick up in verse number 9. Then Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots. And he came to Marishah. So Asa went out against him and they set the troops in battle array in the valley of Zephatah at Marishah. And Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you. And in your name we go against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. Asa's mindset, God... Listen, we're down here and the battle is getting ready to go. We're down here and it is on. The Ethiopians have come up and they're ready to take us on and they've got a million people. If you look in context, you'll find that Asa's army was around 580,000. It is nearly two to one. It is nearly two to one that God's people are outnumbered. But Asa is committed to God. God, this is nothing for you. God, you can help us. Do not let the enemy come in and take away your name. That's a great mindset, isn't it? We've had rest for ten years. But even in the midst of battle, we can continue to find rest because you are fighting. Because you are on our side. We don't have to worry about this, Asa is saying, because we know that we have you. And it doesn't matter how many they bring against us. We have you. Do you see the commitment? Are are you getting the picture? You see the commitment that Asa has in his life to God? You continue in verse 12. So the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people who were with him pursued them to Gerar. So the Ethiopians were overthrown and they could not recover. For they were broken before the Lord and his army. And they carried away very much spoil. Then they defeated all the cities around Gerar. For the fear of the Lord came upon them and they plundered all the cities. For there was exceedingly much spoil in them. They also attacked the livestock enclosures and carried off sheep and camels in abundance and they returned to Jerusalem. Isn't that a great chapter? Second Chronicles 14, boy, that's a great chapter. That's such a great chapter in the life of King Asa and the commitment that he had to God and he was ready to lead God's people and because he was committed to God, all the people were committed to God and they fought the battle and they carried away All of this spoil. That's a great chapter. I love 2 Chronicles chapter 14 and thinking about King Asa and how committed he was to God and questioning myself, Adam, are you that committed to God? Do you have that kind of strength? I want to. And I'm I'm trusting tonight that you do too. 
Well, let me give you just a couple more things in the life of Asa. Because as you get into chapter 15, things continue to be really good. Asa was one who loved good preaching. As a preacher, you love when people love preaching. And that means that they love the Word of God because that's all we're trying to present. And so you you find people who love the Word of God, and that's what Asa found himself. That's where he was. And he loved God, and he loved the Word of God. The Bible says in verse 1 of chapter 15 that the Spirit of God came upon Azariah the son of Oded. And he went out to meet Asa, and he said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. And then you see those verses that were read for us by Brother Milton before the lesson started. Listen, Abijah comes and and tells him, or Azariah comes rather, and tells him about God and the commitment that they need to have to God. And the people are all like, yes, that's exactly what we want. We want to seek God. We want to be right with God. It was a good time to be a child of God, a good time to be a part of that southern kingdom of Judah under King Asa. Things were really, really going well. In verse number 7, the Bible tells us that, that they were told to be strong, to not let their hands be weak, and their work was going to be rewarded. And Asa, when he heard these words, he was pumped up. He was excited. He wanted to do what was right. And we find that he did seek the Lord. In verse number 8, when Asa heard these words in the prophecy of Oded the prophet, he took courage. He removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had taken in the mountains of Ephraim. And he restored the altar of the Lord that was before the vestibule of the Lord. In verse number 9, he's going to find people coming down from the north. I mean... They're enemies. They're brethren. They're God's people, but they're up there in the north, the the, the nation of Israel. And we find these defectors. They leave Israel and they come down to Judah because they want to be with King Asa. I mean, this is a remarkable thing that happens there in verse number 9. Those leaving the north and they come down because they see in King Asa one that God was with. That's what the Bible says in verse number 9. You continue on to verse number 12. The Bible says they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. Catch this in verse 13. Whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. And they took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting and trumpets and ram's horns. And all Judah rejoiced at the covenant that was made. We are going to seek God with all of our heart, with all of our soul. We are going to do what is right in the eyes of God. Can't you just picture it? I can just picture it in my mind. God's people all down there in Judah, they have made a covenant. They are committed Listen, we are going to do what is right. And if anybody doesn't do what's right in the eyes of God, we're going to put him to death. That's how committed we are. That's how committed we are to doing what is right. Whether this is somebody big in administrative power or whether it's somebody small, whether it's a man or whether it's a woman, if they don't do what God wants them to do, we're going to stand with God. We're going to do what is right. 
And in verse 17 of chapter 15, the high places were not removed from Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was loyal all his days. He also brought into the house of God the things that his father had dedicated and that he himself had dedicated, silver and gold and utensils, and there was no war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. 35 years his heart remained loyal to God. 35 years he was fully committed and for all of those reasons and all of those ways that chapter 14 and 15 points out, we see how committed he was to God. And we stand here tonight and we say we are in full agreement. I want to be just like him. I want to lead like he led. And I want to be a child of God like he was having people to be. I want to make a same covenant with God. God, I will seek you with all of my heart. I will seek you with all of my life. I want to be committed to you. And then it changes. For 35 years, it's a picture of commitment. And then it all changes in year 36. And this is heartbreaking. It all changes. In verse 1 of chapter 16, the Bible says that in the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. And Asa, verse 2 says, brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent to what? Sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus. And he says to Ben-Hadad, in verse 3, let there be a treaty between us. What changed? How should that read? It should read that when the king came down from the north and started to fortify these cities so that people from the northern tribes couldn't come down to Judah, it should read that Asa asked God to help. It should read that the one who was committed to God in chapters 14 and 15 would turn to God and say, God, I need your help. But that's not how it reads. He went to Ben-Hadad. He went to an enemy to the north and sent supplies from God's house, things that had been dedicated to God. And he sends them to Ben-Hadad. And he says, Ben-Hadad, I want to make a treaty with you. I want you to help me out. I want you to come down. I'm going to pay you to come down here and help me out with this problem. He doesn't immediately go to the Lord. That's all he had done in the past. And here it changes. There's a shift. He goes to the pagan king of Syria and he asks for help. Now, how does this turn out? Well, you've studied King Asa and I'm not telling you probably what you don't know. But he failed to seek the Lord. 
In chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, he completely failed to seek the Lord. There's no inquiry of God. There's, there's no turning to the prophet. There's no asking, what should I do here? How do I handle this situation? What should I do? There's none of that. He fails to seek the Lord. And then in the past, when the Bible says at the beginning of chapter 15 that the prophet had come down, Azariah had come down and told him what he needed to do, he loved Azariah. He loved the preaching in chapter 15. But he doesn't in chapter 16. There's a switch. He's flipped a switch. It's different now. The Bible says in chapter 16 and verse number 7, at that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa king of Judah and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. This time, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to Him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. That peace that God gave you in the past is now escaping you. Now, Asa, you are not going to enjoy that peace because you have not relied on God. What has God done for you? Has He ever let you down? No! The Ethiopians had you outnumbered nearly two to one. And God took care of it. Why wouldn't you turn to God now? Well, this really upsets him. He doesn't love that preaching. The Bible says in verse 10 that he was angry with the seer and put him in prison. For he was enraged at him because of this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. Do you see the difference? I mean, we love chapters 14 and 15, and then you get to 16, and you're like, who is this guy? It's not the same. And then you see in the end, in verse 11, Note that the acts of Asa, first and last, are indeed written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And in the 39th year of his reign, three years now past his 36, in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe, Yet in his disease he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. So Asa rested with his fathers. He died in the 41st year of his reign, and they'll go on and bury him. Tonight, the lesson isn't difficult, is it? You understand exactly where we're going. Here we are, the first day of a brand new year. Here we are, we are gung-ho, we are committed we are, we are ready. We are going to stay with it. We're going to do what is right. We want to do what is good in the eyes of God. And as we sit here tonight, we are committed to God. And we only want to, to obey Him and do what is right. We want to eliminate things from our lives that don't belong. We want to be good and positive influence in the lives of others. We want to listen to the Word of God. And we want to obey the Word of God. Praise God for that attitude. That's an attitude not to have at the beginning of a year. That's an attitude to maintain for a life. Which is going to describe me? Asa's first 35? Or 36 through 41? 
35 or 5? Which is going to describe me in the end? This is what I know. I know that the promises of God are true and sure. I know that when Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, that that is a promise that we can just rest on. I know that, that the comfort that the disciples found when, when He told them that He would be with them always, even to the end of the age in Matthew 28 and verse 20, that that was a promise that they rested on for the rest of their lives. That they knew that Jesus was going to be with them and He was going to protect them and He was going to help them through the rest of their lives. And ultimately, even at their point of death, they trusted in God to know that a rest was promised. That if they would stay committed to Him, that God was faithful and true and He would not lie to them that His promises are right. And there is a place called heaven and the faithful, the righteous, those who are right with God through Jesus are going to go and they're going to be there. I don't want to be committed today. I want to be committed forever. I'm not looking for commitment today. I'm looking for commitment over a lifetime. It starts with today, and it carries on to tomorrow. I don't want my life to end like Asa's, do you? So much of his life I want to emulate. I want to do exactly what he did. But I can't finish the way he did. Paul says to the Galatian brethren, you ran well. Who hindered you? You ran well. Why'd you stop? I don't, want the, I don't want to stand before the Lord one day and say, Adam, you were running so well. Why did you stop? I don't want to stand before the Lord and have Him ask me that. I'm looking for well done good and faithful servant. I'm looking for enjoy your full reward. Go on to your full reward. 2 John and verse 8. I want to discipline my body and bring it into subjection. I don't want to be disqualified. I want to finish the race. So many valuable lessons that you can learn from looking at the Old Testament. and So many valuable lessons in the life of Asa. So many wonderful things that you and I would do so well to emulate. But finish better. Be committed for life. Don't let the devil get the upper hand. Trust God and know that as you fortify your faith, when the fight comes, He's there to help. I don't want to lose the battle. I want to I win. I want to go to heaven. I want to be committed for a lifetime. Well, tonight, as you examine your life as a Christian, you say, you know what? I have been committed. I have shown good commitment over a span of time, but right now I'm kind of struggling. I say it's not weakness to admit that. It's, it's great strength, actually. I think that Asa actually showed great weakness when, when he just didn't want to listen to what the seer had to say. You've got somebody who loves you enough to tell you what you need to know, and, and Asa's like, I don't want to hear that. I think that's weakness. Strength says, I want to do what is right and good in the eyes of God. 
I may not be the most popular, but I just want to do what is right and good in the eyes of God. And I want to be committed to Him for my whole life. Tonight, as a child of God, if, if you are struggling and you need help, we want to help you. I think that's one of the greatest ways that God allows us help in this life is through His people. And tonight, if we can help you and pray for you, that's all we want to do. Tonight, as you examine your life and you say, you know what, I've never even begun that walk. I've never obeyed the gospel. I'm not a Christian, but I'm ready. I'm ready to commit my life to Jesus Christ for what He's done for me. For the salvation that He offers me through His sacrifice, I can be saved. I want to commit my life to Him in obedience. Tonight, do you believe Him to be the Son of God? Are you ready to make that confession? To repent of sin in your life and to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, you can begin that walk tonight as one of His children. I can't think of a better way to start a new year than to be right with God. If we can help you tonight in any way, please come now. While together we stand and while we sing.